Thanks be the Lord for the gospel going out. And I want to say to you this morning, Happy Mother's Day. Hope you have a wonderful day. And uh, it's, uh, um, Mother's Day is a wonderful day, but it's also a very sad day for many people. So we want to stop and pray now and uh, ask the Lord to bless uh, us with His presence by His Spirit and also to minister to those around us, among us, and through us. And let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the day. And we thank you that um, this is uh, the Lord's day. And it's also a day that our, our culture uh, has ordained that we celebrate uh, mothers. And, and Father, while we do that, we also are, are keenly aware that there are people among us that will find this day incredibly difficult. There are many women in our church who want to have children, and they cannot. And we ask that by your grace you would bless them, and that in your mercy, Lord, you would allow these women to conceive and have a child next by next Mother's Day. Um, give comfort, Lord. We, there are mothers among us and um, daughters and sons who are remembering a Mother's Day without their mom. Their mom may have died this year, and this is a hard day. There are, there are mothers among us who have buried a child, and, and, and this is a, a crushing day for them. So, so we, as we celebrate, make us sensitive to people. Thank you that you called us to be in the body of Christ, to be friends, and we're to rejoice with those who rejoice, and we do rejoice, but we weep with those who weep. And Lord, ultimately, may our hope be based upon what we have just sung about. Oh, to see my name written in his wounds. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins. Thank you for the greatness of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. We're in the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 3. Paul's prayer in verses 11 to 13, he says, May the Lord now clear the way for us to come to you. Verse 12, May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for one another just as ours does for you. And then verse 13, the second part of this prayer that we'll look at today, May he strengthen your hearts so that you may be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father, when He comes with His holy ones. May establish your hearts so that you may be blameless and holy, or one translation, one way is, is blameless in the midst of your holiness, without fault. So I'm going to talk to you about this issue of, of blameless in holiness, or blameless and holy. And I'm going to go through a lot of verses, but this is very important. I've tried to take a lot of stuff out, but, it's, but this is very important. May he establish your hearts so that you may be blameless, faultless in holiness. Blameless in your holiness. Holiness is being progressively conformed to be like Jesus. Romans 8, 29, those whom he foreknew... He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, becoming like Christ. J.I. Packer, in his wonderful book, Rediscovering Holiness, says that holiness is the saved sinner's response 
for grace received. The saved sinner's response, for grace received. Holiness is not an option. Holiness is endemic to our character as new creations in Christ. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says this, verse 14. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Set apart. And to be holy without holiness, no one will see the Lord. No one will see the Lord. Holiness is a result of God's work in us when he saves us. And in Matthew chapter 7, in an uh, incredibly disconcerting statement, Jesus makes this statement, verse 21. He says, not, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Then he explains that. He says, many will say to me on that day, the day of judgment, Lord, did we not prophesy or preach or foretell the mysteries of God? Did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name, did we not drive out the demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them very plainly, I never knew you. Depart from me, you evildoers. So see, holiness isn't an option. Holiness is endemic to who we are. It is being conformed to the likeness of Christ. It is the saved sinner's glad-hearted response of living unto the Lord. Holiness is rooted in today and the eternity that is to come. Titus 2, verse 11. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. He teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present day while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, is rooted in today with his eyes looking to eternity. Holiness involves the joy of repenting. See, if we repent to earn God's favor, that's not biblical repentance for the Christian. Repenting or the continuous turning from sin for the believer is that which we do to open up the floodgates of joy and usefulness in the presence of the living God. We, we, we repent because we say, God, I want your joy. I, I, I want your empowerment. I want to be used of you. I want to know you. To know you is the highest goal of my life. So I repent. One of my favorite preachers, my favorite preacher of the last century, was a Welshman who was trained to be a physician who became a preacher named Martin Lloyd-Jones. And he, he preached continuously on revival because he wanted the Spirit's power to fall afresh upon him. And, and his, his revival text that he went to so often is, is something of a kind of an interesting place to go. But he said in Genesis 26, it's the story of Isaac who followed his father Abraham. Abraham had dug wells where he could water his livestock. But, but the Philistines came in after Abraham was there, and they put refuse and debris in the wells so they couldn't be used. And this is what the Bible says. Verse 15 of 
Genesis 26. So all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling them with earth. Verse 18. So Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died, and he gave them the same names his father had given them. And Lloyd-Jones says, this is a statement of what revival, I'd say what repentance means. Repentance is continuously unearthing the debris from the clear water that God has shown us in the person and power of Christ. It is continuously going back and, and unearthing and, and turning from sin and, and, and pleading with God to, to empower us so that we can be his people. So that, that a holy lifestyle. And 2 Corinthians 7, 1 says this, Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify our, ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for the Lord. You see, since we have these promises, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates, strong word, everything that destroys, contaminates, putrefies, body and spirit, pushing into holiness out of reverence for the Lord, out of the worship of the triune God. But we say, Lord, this, 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 this debris contaminates. It is putrid. It is horrid. I, I don't want to go there. I want to unearth it. I want, I want to run to you. I want to, be, I want to be your child. I want to be a person who repents because joy awaits me. And so you see, that, 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 that is what is involved in holy living. So I want to go to the text this morning and, I, and, and, and look at this issue. Verse 13, he says, once again, may God establish your hearts, strengthen your hearts so you may be blameless and holy in the presence of of our God and Father when He comes with our Lord Jesus Christ with His holy ones. Now, 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 verse 13 is the outgrowth of verse 12, where Paul says, May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. Holiness involves relationships in the body of Christ. Holiness involves a relational element in your existence. Holiness can only be lived out in light of relational caring. That's why one of our core values is in the bulletin is an environment of grace. We say this, the church, convinced of the absolute sovereignty of a holy God, we understand that nothing good happens in our ministry that is not the result of his grace or his unmerited favor toward us then this turn it on first consequently our ministry together must be characterized by the same grace in our response to one another Because we've tasted the mercy of the forgiveness of sin through the work of Christ, we must love and care for one another. 
See, that's what Hebrews is saying. The passage I read earlier, the writer of Hebrews says, he says, make, make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy without holiness. No one will see the Lord. See to it that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. So, verse 12 feeds verse 13. So, I, I want to go to Philippians 2 now. It's in the bulletin. As we do this study on blameless in holiness, Philippians 2. Incredible balance here. Paul says, verse 12. He says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. See, look at the balance here. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Okay? Don't, don't be phlegmatic, lethargic. You walk before a holy God. You work it out with fear and trembling because God is at work in you. See? Fear and trembling because God is at work in you. And then he unpacks that statement. He says this. He talks about being a blameless person. Do everything. See? Fear and trembling as you look to God. Fear and trembling, look to God. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. So, so that, do everything without complaining or arguing so that, see that's relational, so that you may become blameless and pure, blameless in holiness, fear and trembling for God is at work in you. And when you realize that, you do all things without complaining and arguing and getting bitter, thus showing yourselves to be blameless children of God. So I, here's a little capsule. So a blameless life is a striving to live the Christian life according to the power of God. Hear me. A striving according to the power of God. Striving according to the power of God. If I'm to be someone who lives out with gratitude and holiness, I've got to strive according to the power of God. You see, th that's why in, in this First Thessalonians, he, he talks about blameless and holiness. And, and, then, and then he says this. He talks about this passage, chapter 4, verse 8, about sexual purity that we'll hit in a few weeks. He says this about, he says, it's God's will that you be sexually pure. And he says this to a culture that is a wild, wild culture, sexually. Sexually pure. And then Paul drops the hammer. That's what he says. Verse 8. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. In other words, <clears throat> if you kick against this teaching of, of, of the, what the Bible says about sexuality, which is very much on the forefront of our culture this week, you are not rejecting man, or uh, the, you're not becoming an iconoclastic freedom fighter for gender equality or whatever. You are rejecting God who gives you his Holy Spirit. So I take it from this that as I walk before God, I can be a, someone who rejects the power of the Holy Spirit. When, when, I, when I come to Scripture 
And the scripture says, repent or forgive or care or walk this way. And I say, no, I'm not. I'm going to do it my way. I am rejecting the Holy Spirit. You can reject believers, the Holy Spirit. And then he says in chapter 5, verse 20, he says, verse 19 says, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. So, so I, I can put out the Spirit's fire. I can douse the power of the Spirit in my life by rejecting God's prophecies. And, and, and we would say primarily that would be rejecting Scripture, doing it my way. So when I look at this issue of, of holiness, I say I've got to do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. I've got to cry out. Listen, have you cried out this week, come Holy Spirit? Have you run to the cross and said, Jesus, I cannot do it without you? Luke eleven thirteen, Jesus says, if you then, though you were evil parents, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who cry out for him? Have you cried out this week, oh God, I want to be your man, your woman, and I can't do it without you. Come Holy Spirit. I, I, I fear that we don't do that. I fear that we, we forget that we can through inactivity or lethargy or laziness sometimes even inadvertently reject the Spirit of God or grieve the Spirit of God or, or quench the Spirit of God. I, I, I know it's true of me. And yet if I'm called to be blameless in my holiness. The book of Galatians, for example, the book of Galatians is written to a church in turmoil. I mean, good grief. Theological turmoil. Who their authority was? Turmoil. Lifestyle turmoil. It was a horrible experience. And yet, when Paul writes to this church in Galatia and he writes some of the strongest words in the New Testament of correction, as he closes the book, he says this, chapter 5, verse 16. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. How, how do you not become a slave to fill in the blank? Your career, your lust, your ambitions, your bitterness, you're un- whatever. You live by the Spirit. And to drive the point home, he says later in the same chapter, verse, verse 18, or verse 24, he says, those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and its desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Holy Spirit. And again, verse 18, but, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. So he says, Church of Galatia, he says, please live by the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Crucify your, 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 your passions and your desires. He says, we, we need the present day empowering grace of the Holy Spirit. Because, I think I have a graphic. No. Well, I'm out of sequence here. Yeah. Because we live in the middle. 
We live in the middle. Let me explain this graph to you. This is a theologically good graph. There's an arrow on the far side. You see the arrow? There is an arrow sticking out. So, so this, is, this is the growth of the Christian. It's, it's progressive. Some people here are at the, the quarterway point. You are. You're, you're, you're a young Christian or you're, you're not. You've just kind of stayed. Some people are at the three-quarter way mark. They're, they're going forward. But you never get to the end because you hit a brick wall. That's called indwelling sin. You are never done with sin. Therefore, you are never done with, with an absolute necessity of crying out, Come, Holy Spirit. Empower me, Holy Spirit. I, I need to be blameless in holiness. And it's not just following a list of codes and do's and don'ts. It's, you can do that kind of, sort of. It deals with the internal motivations of the heart. And that's why Paul says here, he, he thunders against practices, but he says be led by the Spirit. Live in the Spirit. Keep in step with the Holy Spirit. We, we are never, ever, ever done with, with sin. So you'll never get beyond the brick wall until you go to heaven. Now, this, this is what I want to show you. This is a pill. I, I, I think this is a pill. I asked him to put a picture of it. This came out of Oxford University recently. It says, curing racism with a drug. There's a new pill called uh, propanol. A beta blocker often taken to treat high blood pressure and anxiety. And researchers at Oxford University have discovered that it has a surprising effect, at least on a subconscious level. It unwittingly deals away with racial bias. And then a professor of philosophy at Oxford says, the finding raises the tantalizing possibility that our unconscious racial attitudes could be modulated by using drugs. He said in the London Telegraph, went on and said that not, not that he doesn't advocate the use to this end because, quote, biological research aiming to make people morally better has a dark history, no joke. So we can deal with racism by taking a drug or deal with whatever by taking a drug and that... That, that, that's a pipe dream. That which we walk under that deals with racism is the reality of Christ. I just finished reading an excellent book called Bad Religion. And he talks about how in the 1950s that the Southern Presbyterian Church and the Southern Baptist Convention in their annual meetings at, at, voted to ask their parishioners to accept desegregation because segregation was ungodly and unbiblical. That, we, we didn't follow through, you know, emotionally for a while. But in the vote, in fact, in the Southern Baptist Convention was 9,000 to 50. I didn't know that. 9,000 to 50. It's, it's because people who walked under the authority of Scripture said, all men and women are made in the image of God. And God is a God who has made every man and woman and child from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. R racism is ungodly. That's the appeal. That's the appeal. That, 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 that is what we need. And it led a senator from Georgia, sorry, Richard Russell, to make this statement. 
after the Civil Rights Act was passed, he thundered this out. He said, this was passed because those damn preachers got the idea that race relations was a moral issue, close quote. Imagine that. We had the pill. We had the pill. So how are you blameless in holiness? How do you progress there? It's by a pleading out, a seeking for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to take six minutes, seven minutes, maybe eight. I'm going to go to a place. This could be a six-week study easily. But I'm going to do, do a flyover, a, a run-through about how we are empowered by the Holy Spirit from the Word of God. It's going to be in Ephesians chapter 5. Paul says, verse 15, Be very careful how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Paul says, realize history is going someplace. Realize, he says, later there are principalities and powers and authorities in this dark world. Realize that we're in a world that has an evil nature to it. Realize that we just don't float along and just assume things that, that we have to stand and strive and fight. And he says, if we're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we've got to live as wise men and women, not as unwise. What is a wise person? He unfolds it in chapters 1 through 5. And chapter 1 deals with the glory and the majesty and the exaltation of Jesus Christ. If I am to be wise, if I'm to be the man God has called me to be, I must be someone who is saturated with the greatness and the majesty and the authority and the grandeur of Jesus Christ. Because the Bible says in chapter 1, verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless in Him. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace. If, if I'm to be wise, I've got to continually run to, glory in, rejoice in the reality of Christ and the empowerment that he brings by his presence and Holy Spirit. And, and, and this life of wisdom, I, I believe comes to people who cry out and go hard for Christ. A little statement in Jeremiah 29. Many of you have memorized this. Where this promise is given to the people that will come out of the Babylonian captivity. He says this, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for your welfare or your wholeness, not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Then you will come to me and call and pray to me, and I will answer you. You will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. All of your heart. 
You see, a wise person seeks God. Here's a little statement. This is a wonderful book on the early church by, by a guy named Wilkins. He's writing about Augustine's book on the Trinity. Just, this kind of captures it. He says, finding means more than getting things straight or discovering the most appropriate analogy in human experience of the triune God. There can be no finding without a change in the seeker. Just stop. How many of you came to worship this morning saying, God, change me. God, speak to me. By your spirit, work in my life. Our minds, he says, must be purified. And we must be made fit and capable of receiving what is sought. We can cleave to God and see the Holy Trinity only when we burn with love. God waits to be sought. Am am I living as a wise man? And then he says, number two, very very quickly. Good grief, very quickly. He says, be very careful how you live not as as wise men. Number two, therefore don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So what, what, that, that means that we stay here. <laughs> the Lord's will is not the cultural currents. The Lord's will is not what my inner compulsion tells me after I eat Mexican food. The Lord's will is here. We're people of the book. It, there, I think I've got a picture of this. Yeah, this is... Xenophon on, on the left and Socrates on the right. And Xenophon as a young man goes to Athens and he's walking down this in the street late at night. Xenophon became a great warrior, a great philosopher. And, and the story goes that he's walking down the street of Athens and he runs into this old man, Socrates. Didn't know Socrates. And Socrates puts his staff out and, and, and prohibits Xenophon from walking down a narrow passageway in Athens. And he said to him, what are you looking for? And Xenophon says to Socrates, I'm looking to acquire virtue, and I don't know where to find it. And Socrates says, follow me and learn. Follow me. That's what Jesus says to us. You want wisdom? You want to understand? Follow me and learn. So, so to me, being spirit-filled is in the scripture here, you're, you're, you're careful, you're careful how you live, not as, not as unwise, but as wise, because the days are short and you're surrounded by evil, and then, and then you, you, want, you want to be someone who, who understands the will of the Lord. And then he says, thirdly, he says, you're, you're, you're not drunk on wine, but you're filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, instead of being controlled by wine or medications or ambitions, you're controlled by the Holy Spirit as you cry out, come Holy Spirit. See, I, I want to I be wise. I want to understand the will of God. And I, God, and I, I cry out, come Holy Spirit. See, I want us to be a holy and blameless people who represent Jesus. And I think that happens as we understand that we've got to be empowered every day, church, by the Holy Spirit. Every day. I mean, every day. 
Got to close real quickly. And then, again, this is a flyby. This is a flyby. He says, you say, well, how, how do you know you're filled with the Holy Spirit? I think Paul answers in the text. He says several things. He says, number one, he says, speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Number one, just ask you, do you worship? Do you worship? Do you worship? Is there a passion? Number two, he says, always giving thanks to the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Always giving thanks. I read an article this week written by in a journal that says, you know, I'm not a happy person and I tell my friends, just get over it. I wouldn't be married to that person. Best friends with that person. Just get over it. I'm just not a happy person. We can never say that. I'm just not a thankful person. I'm just Oscar the Grouch. Get over it. No, just ask you, am I, am I walking under the power of the Holy Spirit? Do you give thanks? Do you give thanks? Are, are you easy to be around? And then third, he says, he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And I, a lot I want to say about that. But, but, but listen, are you filled with the Spirit in that you, you, you're teachable? You're approachable? You, you say, I, I want to know the Word of God. I want to know the way of Christ. I, and I want to correct my life. That, that's how you know you're filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm telling you, we cannot be holy and blameless without the empowering presence daily of the Holy Spirit who, who empowers those who cry out unto Him, come in the name of Jesus, come. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this, uh, this. Thank you for the scripture. Thank you that, that we don't have to walk in the pluff mud of modernity and through our own imagination try to understand what's up and what's down and what's north and what's south. But we are people who just walk under the authority of scripture. And yet, Lord, I pray that we would see that the study of Scripture and the life of Christ is not merely a propositional academic exercise. It, it involves that. It is a living, glowing relationship whereby the Scripture is opened and that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit who lives in us and who visits us with power as we cry out. Lord, help us to realize that when we reject your word, we're not rejecting man, but we are rejecting the Holy Spirit. That when we treat prophecies with contempt and hold ourselves above the revealed scripture, that we are quenching the Holy Spirit. So Lord, may we be joyful, worshiping, thankful, teachable people as we walk as wise men and women. And as we seek to understand the will of the Lord, come Holy Spirit, teach us, empower us, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.